0: what happens, uh, it's going to be okay. That it is well with our souls. Um, some amazing and comforting words for us to consider uh, consider today. I just want to keep you updated. Uh, this little, um, just, just kind of a thing, I know people continue to give. And a lot of you, I think we've got a lot more pledge cards come in and people that are initiating this process. But we're just going to put this in front of you uh, maybe every now and then, maybe every week for the first few weeks, and then we'll kind of do it once a month, just kind of show you some progress. We have had some larger donations that are about to come in, um, and so those will be reflected here uh, really soon. But how is everybody doing today? Are you doing good? Everybody seems a little tired, so should we have a quick, like, a few jumping jacks? Maybe it's like a church communal game of Twister, just get everybody running. I can see the parents whose kids have been on spring break this week, that um, are saying, I'm hoping it's going to be well with my soul. Tomorrow at 10 a.m., it'll be well with my soul. Um, so hopefully that'll be good. We're, we're in a series uh, that I started last week um, uh, in, in the book of Hebrews. And this is a book that we, we tend to refer to a lot, but we don't always, um, we don't always read. Maybe we don't quite read this book as often as we perhaps should. As I told you last week, just a quick recap, uh, Hebrews is written to Jews who became Christians, who are living in Jerusalem. And as we know, they're living under Roman rule, uh, they're struggling, and, and, and they're, really, uh, they're really having a hard time on understanding how they're supposed to be. And last week we spoke about what I called the slave, or maybe in modern terms, the victim mentality. And this is something that every, uh, every Jew at that time struggled with. And we know that the Jews struggled with this idea almost their entire existence. That, that the story of the past and the story of being slaves was, was always just there in the corner, and they couldn't quite get away from it. And, and I preached about this last week. I didn't feel like I did an amazing job, but I feel like you got, you got the gist of what I, was, uh, what I was trying to say. And ultimately, in our world today, we struggle with this slave or victim mentality as well. And obviously, if you're reading the book of Hebrews, It's going to lead us to the conclusion that the greatest step away from slave mentality or victim mentality towards freedom is accepting Jesus for who he is. And it's amazing that even since that book was written till now, that really hasn't changed. Uh, The greatest initiation point away from being slaves to sin and to the world is by accepting Christ and making him our Lord and Savior that's really what Hebrews is going to shoot for. It's no secret. And I want you to know that ultimately, as we talk through this series, that that is a part of what my hope is for you. For those of you that have made a commitment to Christ, maybe it was when you were younger, maybe it was when you were at camp, maybe you've kind of gone away from it. You want to have those moments where you rededicate your life and say, okay, God, you've kind of gotten out of the, out of the, the prime spot, and you need to be back in that spot, because I've slipped into the slave mentality. You can always tell how close you are to Christ based on this. If I'm struggling uh, being the victim or I'm struggling with sin, I'm in the slave mentality and I need to put Jesus in his rightful place. If you've never made a commitment and said, you know, I've never really fully submitted and given myself over to Christ, then that is part of the goal here as well. And I want you to know that that is something uh, that you are free to do in this place. But w- one of the, the, the reasons why the slave mentality or the victim mentality is so prevalent in the Jewish people is because of this narrative of exodus and exile. You're either, you're either coming out of slavery or you're going into slavery. We talked last week a little bit as well about you cannot be slaves and disciples at the same time. You have to choose between one or the other. So here's an example of the slave mentality that we have. Every year, Haley got me into this habit, um, I don't know, probably about about ten years ago, to go to my doctor for a yearly physical. Some of you do this. Some of you need to do this. Some of you hearing a word of conviction in this, some of you are getting elbows. So you go in, right, and you check in and you're here, I always try to do it right around my birthday, so it's an easy thing. An easy thing for me to do. My birthday this year is April 5th, just in case you were wondering. It's also Brad's birthday. So that's really coming up, and you're going to want to plan for that. Um, but, but, but I'm going on, on my birthday, I'm going into the physical. And everybody knows the drill, right? You check in. You get your piece of paper. You sit down in the waiting room. Then they call you back, usually a nurse. And what's the first thing they make you do? Yeah, right? The way question. Well, how bad is it this year? I just don't understand something. Why is chubbiness such a great quality in babies and puppies? But as we become adults, it's, it's like that. This year I'm changing my tactic because it's not really working. You know, you th- they go through it and your blood work and then they look at you and they go, well, I'm looking at your numbers here and then You always kind of feel bad about yourself, and you commit in that office. It's a, it's a Jesus moment. You see a light, and you say, I'm going to make the changes I need to, Jesus, as soon as you drive out and go by a Taco Bell. And you're like, well, just one more time, just one more time, I'm going to do that. But I've decided this year. So I, I have the problem that many you know, middle-aged men have, you know, sort of right around here. Um, and, and you start putting on a few pounds as you go. There's, there's no shame in this. Let's just talk about it. Um, I've told people I'm not chubby. I'm just I'm just um, short for my weight. Okay. So this next year, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus and try really hard on growing taller. Because if I grow taller, I'm going to be right in the middle of those numbers. So next year, God willing, by this time I'll be six foot eight, and um, and it's going to be wonderful. I'm looking forward. Please be praying about that. Okay. We all hate this, don't we? Unless you've done really, really well, and this is a pride moment or whatever it might be. But everybody hates this, and it shows you how randomly assigned the the victim mentality is. Now listen, all of us know where we are. We don't need a scale or a shaming experience at the doctor to tell us how we're doing. But I want to talk, I want to use that as an image today, because one of the things that we talk about, when you take your kids in, they talk about where they are on the scales right? Uh, they're this height, and they're this weight, and these are pr- the percentages that they're doing. One of the things we have to do as people is we have to learn to grow up and also grow out. Now, that doesn't mean what I just kind of alluded to. You know, when we talk about kids growing, and they, we don't talk about them growing up in their clothes. We talk about them growing out of their clothes, and our faith kind of works like that. We need, to, we need to get taller, and we need to get bigger, but we also need to grow out, and we need to get rid and take off some of those clothes of early faith. And this is where the writer of Hebrews is incredibly helpful. We're going to read uh, two little passages today in, in Hebrews, beginning in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Now, we're actually going to do some of the text before this next week. We're doing it in little reverse order. But the writer of Hebrews says this, and I want you to hear the concept behind it. We have much to say about this, and it's talking about Jesus. But it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is the, the point that's being made. When you grow up, you are learning righteousness. That's what we teach our kids, right? You do the... These are where the lines are. And a lot of times, church or even home, when when you're growing upwards, you're learning righteousness. When you're growing outwards, you're training in right behavior. He says, the righteous, growing up is great, but when you can distinguish between right and wrong, when you're in real-world situations, you'll know the difference between these two things. And, And a lot of you, it says, a lot of you should be teachers by now, But you're still infants. You're still drawing the lines of right and wrong. And you should actually be making decisions and behaving according to right and wrong. Then chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, he goes on with this. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Well, what are those? And be taken forward to maturity. Not again laying the foundation of repentance. From acts that lead to death, meaning sin, and, the f- and, and of faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. Now, I love what the writer says here. These, this list about baptisms and judgment is what people tend to talk about. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if a person is constantly obsessed with these things, they're actually tipping their hand and saying, I'm not actually a mature person. I'm just laying the foundation over and over and over again. Now, some of you in this room, I know, have built houses in the last year. That's a fun process, isn't it? But if you go out there and they're laying foundation and there's not progress, progress on a house never goes as quickly as we think it should. But what he's saying is it's kind of like going out there and people are just smoothing the foundation day after day, week after week. They're not making progress. Yes, foundations are important. Yes, they help us build good houses. But if that's all we ever do, there's not really a whole lot of value in that. Verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. It's saying if you have experienced the deeper things of God and you decide just to become a foundation layer again, you're missing it. And maybe when we read this, our question should be, Where do we need to grow? Where do I need to grow? Am I overly focused on the wrong things? Am I am I focused over here? What should I be doing? Because if I'm just doing the same thing all the time and my faith just seems to be circular, then maybe I'm missing the point. Something that I I shared or occurred to me kind of this week, if church only affirms what we already believe, then what value does it have? If you walk in these doors and we only sing songs you already know and they just affirm everything that we already believe and we leave no different than when we came in, then what's the point of what we're doing? What's the value of what we're doing? Now, my church experience was probably the same as yours, and I don't mean any dishonor in, in, in what I'm about to say. I'm just giving a critique, a, an assessment of maybe where a lot of us came, it came from. I grew up, and I think a lot of my early church experience, was church was very much an answer-driven culture. Did you ever find this? Like if you went to camp, it was always the same. The problem is sin, the problem is bad, the problem is you're bad, and so let's have Jesus, and that'll fix everything. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that I disagree with that or that notion, but I remember going to church, and really it was just a place that affirmed everything I already believed. And faith ultimately became a knowledge or a cognitive exercise about the right answers. Faith was learning the right answers. If you come to church, and so we sit down, and what was the good old thing in church? If you don't know the answer, just say Jesus, because that's probably going to be the right answer, right? If you never know an answer, uh, just say Jesus. That, that, you know, 9 out of 10, that's going to get you there. But a lot of us grew up in churches where faith was good faith was associated with people who were knowledgeable about the Bible or about how to live into faith now what I try to cultivate here at this church and I'm not saying that one is bad I'm not saying we should never have answers don't misunderstand me but I'm trying to cultivate a question-driven culture here that faith is about asking the right questions and saying okay how do we ask the right questions? How do we learn in our faith to ask the right questions? What I have found is this. When you have an answer-driven culture and faith becomes about asking the right questions, you actually get fewer answers. And your faith tends to become more skeptical. That you say, that's not right. Faith should be deeper. But I think what it says is a lot of the answers that you've had For the time in your life no longer work Shawna, you can go to that next slide there if you don't mind but sometimes in faith people get disjointed by this as you start digging deeper into faith you realize you don't necessarily believe everything that you once believed or everything that you were once taught i'm not saying that what we're teaching your kids or your students is bad what we're saying is over time they will start unpacking that and they will have more questions well why why does God do this? You know, they, they learn the image of, you know, God sent a flood because people were bad. That's great. That's powerful. But when they hit a certain age, they're going to go, why did God kill everyone? That's a tougher question. And there's not really one great answer to that. You see, growing up is about giving answers to everything. Growing out is about asking questions. And I believe that faith is learning to live towards the question. And this affects how we study the Bible. Because all of us have a way, and a lot of us have quiet time, and I'm not saying what you're doing in quiet time is wrong. We'll, we'll read a passage and we'll do this, and we'll kind of just, okay, check, I did that. If you, if you feel like your quiet time with God is about checking it off the list because God wants you to do that, I'm not saying that that's bad, but I think that there's so much more that it could be as well. I, I, I've been in churches a long time, and sometimes when I go places, I'll visit other churches, or if I go, you know, back home or wherever it might be, I'll, I'll go and I'll sit through a Bible study, right? And you've all sat through, through Bible studies before. But one thing that occurs to me is this. If, if the only questions, if we only answer questions that we invent, then they're probably not the right answer. Because I come with my, my book and I say, okay, these are the answers I want to give, so let me now work backwards and, and invent the questions. If we only answer questions that we think of, then they're not really the right question. But we read passages of Scripture that say things like, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope. And you should be prepared to give an answer. But it's not saying you need to invent the questions as well. It's saying our faith needs to be deeper for us to be able to articulate and say, why do I believe this? If you come to our Deconstruct class, you are well familiar with this idea. Because this is what we do. What do we believe? We believe this. Why do we believe this? Well, we don't know why. We've just always been taught to believe that. We've got to have a deeper sense of faith. Yes, we do need to be prepared. We do need to be in the Word of God. But are we seeking the Word of God to get answers so that we feel better about affirming what we already believe? Or do we go to the Word of God to hear a fresh word for us today? The Bible in Hebrews 4.12, it doesn't say, that, you know, the Word of God is a great answer book, and if you learn enough of them, you'll find life. It says, no, the Word of God is living and active. And when you live in that world, it changes who we become. I think unintentionally, sometimes what we've done, and I've been a part of this too at times, we have created an environment of false security for people. We've told them, if you just have the right answers, everything will be fine. But part of that problem is when we have an emotional response to faith, often we feel empty. I have people all the time that say, I, I went to a camp or I went to a conference or, you know, I grew up in a church and I, and I had this, this great sermon that somebody preached. And I responded, and I was like, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And now I've been in church for five or ten years, and my life feels empty. I don't feel like it means anything. I, I can't remember what it, what it is like. And a lot of us feel empty in our faith. We know we have it, and we, we, we want to believe that we're saved, but we always feel the disconnect. It's almost like we're, we're walking into the doctor's office of faith, and the first thing they say is, get on the faith scale. And we kind of walk over there shamefully, Oh, and then, you know, the person taking the note. Mm, mm, mm. That's how we feel. We feel like our faith is empty. We feel like it's not, it's not going where it needs to go. Please understand what I'm about to say, because uh, we're going a little deeper with this. Sometimes in churches, we have over-focused on how people should be saved. And we've given them steps or rules and said, hey, all you need to do is just do this, and you'll be good, and you'll be golden. And the Bible does talk about what we should do. But I think a better question that we should ask is, what does salvation do to a life? What does a saved person look like after they've made a commitment? How do they engage in their own story of faith? How does their self, what does it mean to be saved in your workplace as opposed to unsaved in your workplace? What does it mean to be a saved person in your marriage as opposed to an unsaved person in your marriage? How do you interact with people? How do you check out at Walmart or United as a saved person versus an unsaved person? How do you deal with traffic as a saved person than an unsaved person? And and these are valuable questions. I know that some of them are a little silly, but the reality is, We always go, I've done all the right things to be saved, but how has that affected my life? How has that changed me? How does it change me every day? Am I saved differently, you know, tomorrow as I was yesterday? Not ultimately between me and God, but the way that it plays out into our lives. The deeper one grows in faith, the more questions and less answers you will find. Now this is challenging and difficult. Because we don't like questions. We like answers. I hear this all the time. Maybe the most prevalent place is this. You ever go for that test at the doctor's office? And they say, we'll get your results to you in about this much time. That's a fun time, isn't it? We'll call you on Monday. At 8 a.m., you're awake by the phone. You check your phone. Is it it not on site? I've got it. Okay, my phone works. And then, you know, four forty-eight. they call you with your results. And nine times out of 10, it's like, oh, everything's normal. That time, because we want answers. And living in the question, really, living in the questions in that moment, what would I do if it's this? What would I do if it's this? What would I do if it's this? That tells us who we are. There is a space between exodus and exile. It's not a fun space you're either coming out of something difficult or you're going into something difficult those are kind of the two modes of humanity (laughs) we don't like we don't like going into something and the space between exodus and exile is a place called the desert and we must become comfortable in the desert because that's where most of faith is Answers are about exodus or exile, but most of life is lived in the desert. If you go back to the gospel story of Matthew, we see this with Jesus. Jesus goes and is baptized. He has this beautiful moment where he commits to God in covenant. And it says as soon as he's baptized, he comes out of the water, and the heavens open and a dove descends, and there's this voice that says, This is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And it's such a beautiful moment. And you end chapter 3 and you turn the page to chapter 4 and it says, And then Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by the devil. And this is the part that sometimes we forget to tell people. They have the best moment of their lives when they commit to the Lord. And then God leads them immediately to the desert, to the wilderness. And that's why you maybe feel empty, because nobody told you that was going to happen. Yet it's littered all the way through Scripture all the time. This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to share with the people. Stop worrying about how you got into this. Stop trying to find somebody else to blame. Your calling is to live into the wilderness, to live into the desert. And that actually is a hopeful place Because that's the place that God shows up most powerfully. It's a place that empties you of all the answers. It shakes out all the answers of your life and leaves you as a vessel asking more questions. And when you do that, God will show up and do powerful things in your life. The reason why God doesn't always work in our lives is because we already have all the answers. And he's waiting for us to ask questions. He's waiting for us to open up our lives a little bit and say, I'm ready to receive what you want to give me. But the desert's not a fun place. See, this is why the Jews were obsessed, because the Romans were taking over the temple and were violating everything, and they thought if we just talked more about what the temple is, maybe that would fix it. And we know how the story ends. Actually, the temple is completely destroyed, and these people are kicked out of their own town, and that doesn't fit with any of their answers. Answers are Great until life throws you a curveball and you find yourself in the desert with questions you feel like the devil is on your case a lesson that we should all learn is the more mature you become in your faith, the less answers you actually have because you're not children anymore the more clothes you, you shed some of those things you always believed mature faith is not fun. Mature faith is difficult. If you walked in here today and said, you know, I'm I'm barely, I barely feel like I'm crossing the line to have faith. You're in the right place. I'm struggling. I just don't even know where God is right now. You have faith. I feel empty. I feel like I don't know what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to be. That's faith. If all you have when you walk in is going, yes, they affirmed everything I already believe. And if I'd gone or not gone, would have made no difference to me. That's immaturity. When our kids come out, we always ask them, did you have fun today? Which is probably a bad question, I'll admit. But we want them to have fun. We want them to know the love of God. We want them to see beautiful things. But for adult, adults, maybe when you leave, we need to go, was that just terrible? are like, yes. It was like standing on the scale. And I just feel like I'm missing the mark every single time. God can use a person like that. God uses the broken, the hurting, and the empty. Maybe there's a word in here for us that brings inspiration you're doing okay. If you're struggling in your faith, exactly where you need to be. Because otherwise you'll be a slave. And God doesn't want that. He would rather keep us in the tension between the two than allow us to be slaves. So maybe today you just need to say, hey God, maybe when we we sing songs, when we proclaim the, the power of Jesus, Maybe, maybe those are good moments for us to just be reminded, hey, if I'm struggling today, I'm okay. I'm in the right place because I'm struggling too. If you feel a little lost, I do too. <laughs> if you feel like you have more questions than answers, we're all, we're all in the same boat. And maybe for somebody on the outside, this is not a wonderfully evangelistic sermon, is it? If you want to get be confused and empty and lonely, give your life to Jesus today. But that's really what it is. Jesus tells his disciples all the time, if you come after me, people are going to hate you and scorn you and even try to kill you, and some of them will succeed. But it's the best journey you'll ever take because you will no longer be a slave. And being a slave in a foreign country, in a foreign land, to a foreign ruler, even though it might be kind of comfortable for a while, God is in the desert and you're going to have to go there. Anymore. Hey, today, I don't have it all figured out if you need to make a commitment to Christ in your life. If you need to recommit your life to Christ. If you need to say, "Hey, I've slipped back into slave mentality on this side. Let God pull you back. Let us pray for you. Let us walk with you." And we will know less together, but the one thing that will be true is that we will be God's children we will be deeply loved and that changes us so Father today I just pray that as we as we spend a moment maybe reflecting on where we are in faith what our struggles are what our difficulties are would you just meet us in this moment help us to know that faith is not just about how we feel or how we think or what we know but it's about being in relationship with you and that that relationship is sometimes difficult and awkward and challenging. But God, that we are on a journey together. And if nothing else, that we are in your presence and that you are walking with us. And so we pray today. God, maybe today in the shadows is where somebody decides to follow you. Or maybe today is the day that we decide we're going to be more serious about our faith. Today is the day that we just bring our brokenness and surrender to you. Father, please meet us wherever we are, as we know you do, and do your work. As we worship, as we sing, that this anthem be the story of our hearts. We pray this all through Jesus.